You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. Good day. It is a Monday. Another edition of Global Trade This Week is about to drop in your lap, and we are excited to have you with us. Um, my co-host and partner in crime is on assignment. I'm not really sure what that means. Um, he's not available, right? Um, so we bring in the ringer, you know, the designated hitter, if you will, when when um, when one of us is gone, and that is Keenan with Cap Logistics. Keenan, how you doing today? Doing well, thank you, and always uh, happy to warm up and join in on the fun here with you guys. Yeah. Um, Let's go ahead and just dive right in. I think uh, some of the biggest news, some stuff over the weekend has to do with pending U.S. government shutdown and the new approach that the um, House Speaker Mike Johnson is uh, pr- proposing. Um, supposed to be kind of like this laddered, two-tiered approach uh, to extend U.S. funding to try to stop the shutdown from happening, which would be scheduled for this Friday. So coming up very quickly here. Um You know, he was put in after a whole rigmarole of a lot of people pretty uh, far on the right side of politics, um, putting him in there. And he's kind of known for fiscal conservatism and different things like that. Um, So I guess people who are a fan of it saying that this is like a new approach, it's not a continuing resolution. Um, But other critics I'm reading say that it is basically a continuing resolution just with another name and a little bit more complicated and different things. So um, we'll see. He might not uh, still have some of his farther right fans after this, where it seems like it is a way of keeping the government open um, and not doing the pullback on spending, which is their goal. So even though that's kind of why he got in there and his his maybe intention, it seems to be people um, are thinking that it's not really and that we're going to have another two trillion dollars added to the deficit by spring. And this is just kind of maybe placating the people who want to slow down spending, but it's not really going to slow down spending. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the latest Um, people. Some people seem concerned that this new format might have a little bit more complications and might not get passed in time because of the extra steps. And it's coming up very quickly here. Um, But other people, including Bloomberg, seem to think that this, although it seems complicated, will be supported by Democrats in the Senate uh, because it's sort of a no strings attached, keep on spending and increasing. So uh, it remains to be seen. You know, I'm not an expert on House politics, Senate politics, but it seems like you will be seeing headlines about impending government shutdown. But other people, um, both on the far right or analysts like at Bloomberg, seem to think the government's not going to shut down and that spending will continue to grow. Yeah. Well, um, I would say tomato, tomato, potato, potato, right? <laughs> it's, it's just another uh, another angle for the same exact thing, right? I, I don't know. And I think the, the conversation of government shutdown, um, I think the vast majority of Americans have just tuned it out, right? And, and maybe it's naive of me to say that. I'd probably put myself in that category is like, yeah, that's kind of interesting, but you know what? They're going to fund it some way, and now I'm going to go about and fill my gas tank and go about my day, right? It's just been talked about so much, um, 
and it's so much kind of the new normal, right? Like this has been going yeah. on for presidency after presidency. And so what started off as kind of a, a hit the head, sort of like come to a point type of deal. Now it's brinksmanship. And yeah, there's a new technique here being employed, but it ultimately is kind of business as usual. usual. So I agree with you. I haven't been hearing a lot of colleagues or friends talk too much about it. Um, I'm sure we will see headlines just because headlines need to be made. Um, But uh, yeah, it seems pretty normal, which is kind of a weird scenario to be in just like it's always coming to this head. And um, yeah, you feel for people who are on government um, agencies and payroll. And do they just have to make sure they have a decent enough nest egg or spending just in case it does shut down. But I don't think people really fear that the government's going to shut down too much. Um, And it seems like even though it's a new process, people don't really seem to expect that this is going to either shut down or curb spending. I think it's just more business as usual as, as I'm reading the internet here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that term brinksmanship. I've never heard that before. So mm-hmm. excellent. Mm-hmm. You're, you're bringing new vocabulary words to the show. I know our, our <laughs> listeners will appreciate that. I'll have to Google that when we're done, but the, the, I can figure out what it means in context for sure. So um, cool. All right, well, I'm going to jump into my first one, um, Keenan, and we've talked a little bit about this in the past, but the cargo, well, the airline industry, well, I mean, the cargo airline industry, not passenger, just seems to be retracting, correcting itself, um, and, and there's just all kinds of changes where post-COVID, uh, a post-COVID reset maybe, Um but every day there's headlines uh, that come through related to the industry, asset-based service providers, all the things that are related to air freight and air cargo are just pulling back, right? Just this weekend, I'm going to give you four different headlines that transpired in the last like 72 hours. Um, a cargo airline halted the conversion of some passenger aircraft to cargo, so they shut that down. You've probably seen this one where FedEx is suggesting or telling pilots um, that if they're not making the hours, the minimum hours that they're right bumping up against, um, they should go to American Airlines. And American has this special access point where they can jump to the head of the line when they're looking for new for new pilots. Um, that's a whole nother thing that I've heard, Keenan, is that, um, you know, I think they call it cargo to commercial. Um, but I think a lot of the... Uh, the lanes that would be flown are regional, you know, where these guys are used to big planes, big cargo, big markets. And now they're saying, well, you can work with American, but you're kind of going to run this bombardier plane with some propellers and, and head into uh, McCook, Nebraska type of places. So that's kind of the gist of what I'm hearing about it. But my point there is that FedEx is saying, we don't have enough cargo to move. We got to get a pilot's UPS did a buyout of close to 200 pilots and said, you know, we're just, there's not enough freight to be moved. And then cargo jet, which is based up in Canada, they're going to sell off their freighters so they can reduce their capital expenses and they're going to stop purchasing airlines or, or excuse me, aircraft. So lots of different levels there. You know, you got the integrators like FedEx and UPS that are doing their things. And then you have you know, asset-based owners that are selling their services that are starting to to pull back. So anyway, I'm like, Ken, man, what's the deal with that? And so here's the simplified version from my perspective. Number one, it's still part of the post-pandemic hangover. 
um, where you know the buying spree and the things everybody knows about during during COVID, that's starting to chill a little bit. Um, there was a lot of inventories that were in the United States um, that did not need to be expedited over because somebody needed um, you know something that they didn't perceived need when they didn't want it, like a pair of Lululemon pants or something. Um, and then there's been a real conservative approach to forecasting. You know, part of the reason we're in this stuff is everybody was just consuming, consuming, consuming during the roaring 20s. Um, and then consumers went from purchasing goods to enjoying services when COVID broke, right? So everybody was just bringing in inventories to um, support consumer buying habits. And so people are being a lot more conservative. And on the same um, uh, commentary is that consumer buying habits change so dramatic and so quickly. Everybody's just a little conservative. So you, you add all those things up and air freight is uh, not needed, not desired and not being used to any extent that it has uh, during COVID. So um, here's the good news, I guess. Well, let me, let me rephrase that. The interesting thing with air freight is things happen quickly and in big chunks because you're dealing with planes, right? Not trucks that you could put off to the side and, and um, you know, and use them uh, in the future. But uh, it's interesting that these this uh, correction in the airline industry is fast and big chunks. So uh, it just seems like it's never, um, it hasn't right sized quite yet, Keenan. I don't know. What's your take on all that? I absolutely agree with you. I think your read uh, is very right on where there were a lot more planes put into freight only flight operations during parts of the pandemic and uh, more companies invested and grew that type of cargo um, capacity. And now, you know, um, I just heard a friend was talking about the American buying um, habits. They've sort of pulled from future spending. So you know, while there were economic um, downturns, obviously, um, that was sort of buffered by, you know, cheaper deals on things and people um, trying to catch up on their spending, and they actually pulled ahead from future spending. And it kind of seems to, to me, it matches what we've been seeing, um, you and Pete talking about the ocean um, market, as well as trucks, uh, those things are kind of pulling back in macro overall, um, it's been pulling back. Um, just a little bit of a counterpoint perspective. Um, we at Cap Logistics are busy and we're seeing a lot of air freight, though we don't serve the, the, ma the vast majority. We keep businesses up and running. So there is still a need for air freight, um, but it's not the same as it was recently where they just needed to move things as fast as they could. And so um, Maybe some companies are planning their supply chains a little better, maybe a little more conservatively, planning on um, cheaper, slower routes of getting things places. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, we still see air freight demand, but we're in a niche of keeping businesses up and running as opposed to um, the, the just general shipping market out there. So definitely fascinating to watch. And maybe that means a little better deals for some of our customers out there. Um, but yeah, uh, it's definitely pulling back. Yeah, yeah. Well, the niche market that, that you had mentioned, um, I think that will always be there. So interesting stuff. Uh, Keenan, I don't think we've ever hit a halftime in under 12 minutes of the show. Right? <laughs> we forgot to talk about the weather. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's usually like five minutes of banter between Pete and I, but you know, you, you get him out of the equation and we're just cranking out with some business. So 
Um, we are already there at halftime and highly uh, caffeinated straight to the point. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I told Keenan that I would hype cap because he works for that company, but the Keenan I've said multiple times, if it wasn't for you. It wasn't for cap. We wouldn't be here and it is uh, greatly appreciated. So uh, our listeners out there visit caplogistics.com and see what they have to offer for you. So our, um, half times kind of jive together Keenan's. So I'm going to go ahead and start cause mine's more macro level. And then you kind of get into some fun stuff, um, on that. But, um, my question is like, what's the deal with tipping, right? And tipping became big in the COVID, right? Because, uh, people were struggling for work and it was, let's take care of, um, you know, the service workers and, and restaurants were, were, were closed and, and services in general, you tip on the service industry, right? But it's not going away. Like it's not reverting. It's still out there. It's prevalent. And there's always this uh, two sides of the, of the, of the coin, right? Do you tip? Do you not tip? Um, and it's interesting that, that the tipping um, mentality uh, is, is not waned post COVID. So here's the, here's the, um, you know, is it a choice or is it an obligation? Are you obliged to, to make a tip? So here's, uh, I got a couple of tipping options for you, Keenan. You got to answer them for me, right? All right. So this is either, yes, you need to tip. This is your personal opinion. Yes, you should tip. No, you should not tip. And if it is a yes, ballpark the percentage that you think is, is acceptable for, for tipping. So standard dining where you sit at a table, you have a waiter that comes over and takes your drinks and your meal and everything else. Is that, uh, do you tip in those scenarios? Yes, I do. As an American, um, I think uh, it's a different culture. Um, even before the pandemic, uh, Europeans always made fun of American tipping culture and making fun of businesses for just not paying their employees and leaving it up to customers to do that voluntarily, sometimes maybe on the yeah. tipping side. So yes, if I go to a restaurant, that's a tipping situation. Um, it does, I guess, reflect the level of service, but 20% is what I would okay, say. Okay, cool. Um, I'm going to ask, uh, I'm going to do one. Anyway, I had one I was going to ask, but I'm going to do it last because it dovetails nicely into yours. So ride share, Uber, Lyft, those type of things. Do you tip or not tip? Um, I do. I don't know if I calculate on percentages. They, I, I don't even Uber all that often. Um, and I guess that kind of goes to some of these things. A lot of these places where tipping is creeped in, um, I try not to use those services very much, but if I take an Uber somewhere and they do a nice job, then yes, I tip. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree as well. And I don't even know what the percentage is. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, me neither. I think it's just built into the UI and like they do it in dollar amounts. I'm not sure what the percentages they even offer are. Yeah, yeah. So tipping creep there. All right, coffee. You're you're just ordering a coffee. You walk up, you're doing a lot of the work. They're making the drink, but you know, you got to go up and, pick up your drink and order your drink and stuff like that. So what's your take on tipping for coffee service? That one doesn't quite feel as good as going to a restaurant. It's not a normal thing historically um, as much. So it is kind of a new tip creep as you're describing. Um, I do, though, when I get coffee, it's usually near cap at Prodigy. And so um, it's sort of a nonprofit venture helping at mm -hmm. risk youth. And so I feel a lot better about tipping in that scenario. Um, and even though there may be um, people working at Starbucks in need, I probably wouldn't feel as inclined to tip at Starbucks, um, even if they 
are kind of depending on that. But again, I don't really go to Starbucks. I usually make my own coffee. So I do, but it's only because I appreciate the the nonprofit venture I buy my coffee from when I when I get a cold brew because it's kind of a weird thing. You buy a cold brew, it's already made. They just pour it, and you're just gonna tip on top of that. It, it just feels off. Yeah, yeah. Well, you tip at bars, and all they're doing is pouring drinks too. So that's but, true. That's true. Yeah, but you know what? So the, for our Colorado listeners and Denver more specifically, um, I seventy in Colorado Boulevard is where Prodigy Car- Coffee is, and I've been there multiple times. And and you're right, you know, and I tip there every single time. Um, because of the things that you just mentioned. Um, all right. So here's the last one. I was going to do haircuts. Do you tip on your haircut? But Keenan, uh, speaking from my inner Pete Mento, you probably never had a haircut. So I <laughs> don't even want to go down that direction. Right. Um, I, I do occasionally like right before a wedding or something when I need to get cleaned up. And yes, I do tip. I okay. Do. Yep. I Though, do as well. I, I just do don't well. get my haircut very often. So it's easier for me to justify. Yeah. Nice. All right, so here's the last one, and I'm just this is I'm I'm hitting the volleyball over the net to you. So this one was yep. food delivery services, right? So um, I would I'm going to answer my own question because you got a good take on this. Food delivery services, I don't even use them. I, I literally have never had somebody bring me food to my house. Maybe I'm too cheap. Maybe I want to get out of the house. Maybe I want to go pick it up. But I, I don't have a take on that one because I don't use food delivery services. But what's your take on this one? I'm right there with you. I think I've used Grubhub or DoorDash, like can definitely counted on one hand, like three times in my life, maybe when they were brand new, just to experience it. Um, I did tip, I uh, don't know what the percentage is, but probably tipped more than I would have if you went to that restaurant, you know, fast food type of place in person and got it there. Um, so I think yes, but yeah, to your volleyball point, um, I saw recently something related, um, DoorDash, which I think is the largest of these services, has recently put out a test screen. I was reading about this in the New York Times where they're now indicating if you don't tip or based on your tip is how fast you'll get your food. So I guess a lot of people who use these services and quite a few people apparently do use this on quite a regular basis, a lot of people weren't tipping. And so now they're going to be punished by waiting and maybe getting cold food or who knows, um, having people spit in it. I don't know that people would do that. I'm not making any allegations or anything. Um, but uh, yes, I think it is something where those people are probably pinched and being worked pretty hard. And so they're going to prioritize uh, where their money's coming from. It makes sense to me. If you're driving, you're probably going to serve the people who leave you a tip. Um, so that's a new thing. It's also just kind of surprising, even though DoorDash being one of those tech companies, I don't think they've made a profit. Um, they have, six and a half billion dollars in revenue as of last year 2022 mm-hmm. and that was a 34 percent increase on the previous year and wow. so like we've talked about with other things technology and then also covid type um, experiences have accelerated these trends um, and apparently a lot of people just don't want to leave the house they get the stuff delivered to them that apparently isn't you or me. We don't do that too often or ever. Um, I think I even have a gift card for DoorDash and it doesn't even cross my mind to use it. Um, but also kind of expanding, um, going into my halftime topic based on that, uh, a lot of those places, they're at least as far as I've seen, aren't local, you know, one-off type places. They're a lot more like fast food restaurants. And that's something that I don't eat all that often. I don't think it's all that healthy. Um, there was a, an interesting 
um, study done recently, a nonprofit did some extensive testing on the top 20 fast food brands in America. Um, and quite a few of them are not very healthy, high amounts of glyphosate, which there's been some record headline lawsuits. Last year's $2 billion. I think they ended up working it down in the millions. And then another one just a, a week or two ago, multi-million dollars, like to individual people who wow. have cancer from Roundup is the is the scenario. And so you really have to worry about that type of bread product with it. And from uh, my understanding, it's it's not even so much the Roundup Ready at the beginning of the year, like they do on corn, right? Where you like, it's Roundup Ready and then you spray. The, the worst exposure levels come from wheat when in addition to using Roundup to kill off weeds and, you know, have a, a, a field full of the crop you're intending to grow, they spray it on at the end of the year at harvest time as a desiccant, because apparently if you just cover it in glyphosate, it'll dry it out. And so you can dry out the product and harvest it more on a controlled schedule, which I understand mm. why farmers and the economics of having um, the ability to harvest on time or before rain or anything like that. But it seems kind of gross that some chemical that is questionable, there's lots of lawsuits going around with cancer and and or other mental health, you know, depression, anxiety, ADD, whatever, autism, definitely more speculative and controversial, but there are things around that just to spray it on there to dry it out, there's a lot of contamination in there. And so just a real quick um, update, I'll probably throw this screen on here as well. Um, some of the surprising findings from this study were that the highest levels of exposure were found in Panera, where you kind of think of Panera as like a, a bistro, kind of healthier food options compared yeah. to other fast food options. And that was off the charts compared to these other ones, like, like, way more than something like a Pizza Hut. And Pizza Hut might not be that healthy for you, but a lot of exposure in Panera. So check that out. Um, something I found interesting for people who do like fast food, but want to also be on the healthier side of things. Whataburger, In-N-Out Burger, and Culver's seem to have the lowest contamination of glyphosate. So if you are going to eat burgers, maybe consider an In-N-Out. I know that's a new addition here in Colorado that people now have the option for. and People seem to love it, though most of them probably don't realize that it has a lot less glyphosate than something like Panera. Right. Huh. Well, I, I'll still go get my chicken frontega sandwich at Panera. That's the only thing that, that I'll <laughs> eat there. But it was interesting on the on the burger burger selection. So yeah, yeah, cool. All right. Well, let's jump into the second half of the show. Um, I'll jump in then. Um, and you can, um, uh, bring us home, right. but, um, it seems like we always talk about, we've referenced this in the show, but there's one crisis going on that just doesn't make the news, which is starting to have implications in other parts of the world. And that's the Panama canal crisis. And, um, and the uh, the drought down there and the regulation of vessels moving through the locks and how that is uh, slowing things down. It certainly doesn't get the press that the, the L.A. Uh, port situation did during COVID and had, you know, close to 100 plus or minus vessels out there waiting to get unloaded. Mm -hmm. um, the Panama Canal is just not getting the um, the. Uh, recognition is not the right word. So the, the notor notoriety is not the right word, but um, you know, the, the headlines, I guess that you re uh, uh, referenced earlier, but here's the deal. What's happened now is that uh, grain exports and farmers are now rerouting their product um, through the Suez canal. Hmm. 
because um, it's getting stuck. So this is stuff that's going to primarily Southeast Asia and China and those areas. So rather than go down through the Panama and cruise over through the Pacific, going across the Atlantic and going through and, and down the, the Suez, um, obviously the routing is longer, so it's going to cost more money because it's on the water longer. Um, um, and oh, by the way, it's being directed into a war zone for, I was going to say for lack of a better term, it literally is a war zone. And before we jumped on, and I looked, and so from um, the Suez Canal to Gaza is about 120 miles, 120 miles. So we have these vessels that are going into the war zone through the canal, popping out in an area of Somalia and all those areas that are ripe uh, with pirates uh, to, to get things. So the fact that the Panama Canal is, uh, the situation down there is so dire that... Um, uh, farmers and exporters are, are starting to use alternative means going into a war zone is is absolutely crazy to me, right? And I think that you're going to see uh, implications to farmers because at some point there's going to be other other commodities which could be energy related, coal, oil that are going to be looking at doing the same thing. And when you start pushing those type of commodities through that area of the world, um, it's just ripe for for catastrophe and, and and problems. So it's a real testament that we're not hearing that much about that ships are being rerouted through a war zone because the Panama Canal is so congested to get things through because of the drought. So that just caught my attention. It's like, oh my gosh, it, it's uh, it's pretty dire down there and it's not making a whole lot of news. Related to the drought, as I was kind of researching um, on your topic here, um, one of the reasons why it hasn't been a larger impact or felt, I mean, if it would still make the news, that's another question, um, has been uh, lower harvests and exports of uh, grains and wheat from the U.S. So there's been less demand um, of what would normally be going through the Panama Canal. Um, we're not producing and shipping and exporting as much of that as we normally would. Apparently Q4, you know, with harvest is a big time for that. And it's just not as big as it has been in previous years because of similar reasons why the Panama Canal is having issues. They don't have enough water. Apparently a lot of the um, harvest issues have been also because of water. And so there's just not as much export. So it hasn't had as big of an impact, but in the future, that may still be a problem. Um, you know, there could be scenarios where we end up having rain up here in the U S but there's not water available down in the Panama area. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. And it is also interesting of it being rerouted through an active war zone. I mean, the U S <laughs> we we've sent air carriers over there. Um, it's going on. And also the Suez did get a lot more attention, um, than the Panama canal back when was it the Evergreen, Evergrande, um, that large container ship that got stuck, um, mm -hmm. with the sandy sides and winds and got stuck there. That made a lot of news. There were quite a few ships backed up there. Um, Something interesting in that region, um, as there's, you know, tensions and regional warfare going on, um, something I hadn't known about before, but apparently has been um, an option or consideration for decades and decades. Have you ever heard of the Ben-Gurion Canal Project? So named after the founder of Israel, they've apparently drafted up plans to make a alternative competing canal um, instead of the Suez, 
Suez, but making a new one, kind of going through that Israel-Gaza area and kind of skipping the the Egypt-controlled Suez Canal. So that would obviously be many years in the future if that were to ever happen. Um, and I guess the plan has has involved the idea of using hundreds of atomic bombs to blow up all these um, this, this rock in order to do it. So that's an interesting um, aspect to the area that I had not heard about before. Um, but mm. shipping is an important uh, consideration in that part of the world. And for everyone who uh, needs to get things from point A to point B that it would have to route there. So um, interesting, interesting times for canals. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. That should have been the title of that one. Interesting times for canals. So. <laughs> All right. All right, brother, bring us home. All right. Yeah. So my second topic here has to do with a headline um, I saw on Zero Hedge about popping the AI bubble. And so there's been a lot of talk about AI and AI has uh, gone into a lot of hands and Companies like um, NVIDIA have um, seen a lot of stock growth and some of the large tech companies seem to be making up some of their recent um, declines. You know, the large companies with the GPU racks, your Amazon Web Services, your Googles, both the ones who own the infrastructure as well as providing the services, Google Bard, those types of things. Um, those companies have been doing well. However, uh, apparently for other companies on the stock market, there has been a recent trend of the more they've been mentioning AI on their earnings calls, the more they've been underperforming. So to me, it kind of reminds me of uh, what's often seen the Gartner curve, the hype cycle, where people get very excited and start throwing it into everything and start mentioning it and selling it and people looking for investment and um, people to invest in their companies. It also reminds me of, was it that lemonade company or the tea company that like threw on crypto as like a they had weird thing to get investment, but they didn't really have a business plan for it to actually use it. That seems mm -hmm. to be a trend similar to what's happening here with AI, where a lot of publicly traded companies are mentioning AI and trying to, you know, we're having trouble, but AI will fix it. It's a magic bullet and investors aren't really buying it. They're now, we may now be leaving the, the peak of the um, euphoria and going down into what Gartner calls the trough of despair. Um, and that being said, it's not really going away that AI is going to be implemented and certain businesses will find ways to make really good use of it, but it might not be as widely applied as everyone's trying to, to say it is. So interesting to watch out there. Don't fall into AI investment hype. Um, be aware that those companies that mention it the most in their earnings calls apparently have been underperforming the most. So um, interesting trends there. But that being said, AI um, is is getting a lot of steam in other areas. I think uh, OpenAI, the company behind ChatGPT, is poaching off top Google um, AI developers, like the, the model researchers and fundamental um, type workers. They're being picked off at salaries of $10 million a year, like incre incredibly high demand for the, the top level creation experts of these. And they're, they're not dumb. Those companies are investing and fighting over that top talent for a reason. So um, yeah, keep an eye on the AI space. There's, there's lots of developments, but don't be suckered into just investing in any company that, that says they're using AI. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like crypto, you know, for, four or five years ago, right? Mm -hmm. And you just insert the word crypto and people would flock to it. 
and uh, it, it is interesting, right? I, I saw a commercial over the weekend with Matthew McConaughey. You know, he's, I think he's a pretty cool dude. I wish I was like Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> um, but he's got his classic voice and, you know, I can't even, I can't even mimic it. But he's talking about AI related to Salesforce. And I'm like, I don't really even know what that is because they don't get, I know what Salesforce is and I know what sure. AI is. I just don't know what that bridge is. And maybe that's the point of the of the whole marketing campaign is I'm sitting here talking about it and I want to learn more about how that connection works. But I, I think it's just it's a hype word. Um, some of it is valuable. Some of it is just to, you know, insert um, AI somehow, some way into our business. And uh, maybe that'll spike the stock a little bit. So you have a very, very valid point for sure. So. Yeah, we'll see. I'm not familiar with uh, uh, Salesforce's um, advertising or what they've been mentioning with it, but they might be in the category of the big enough tech companies that maybe they are putting it to good use or get good investment um, following that. Um, but a lot of smaller companies who try to say that they're just going to use AI to do this, the magic bullets don't quite seem to be there and um, investors may be getting a little bit disillusioned. Um, you're reminding me with Matthew McConaughey and just kind of those corporate uh, sponsors. If people have been watching the crypto um, lawsuits around um, what is, uh, Sam Bankman Freed, FBX, what was the the failed cryptocurrency exchange? Yeah, F yeah. FTX, I think. Yeah, yeah, um, FTX. Yes, they're uh, they're now in the investors who got burned very badly through a lot of actual corruption and, and poor practices are now looking at going after some of the highly paid um, corporate or like, you know, athletes and musicians, you know, Taylor Swift got paid money to push that company as did um, football player out of the North uh, New England Patriots. What's his name? Oh, um, you can't, you tell me. Tom, you can't Brady, remember Tom, Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Yeah, I got it. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> You can't forget the coat. <laughs> so he got paid a lot of money. So I guess now some of the the burned creditors are going to be going after there. Also, interesting timing. Um, um, Bitcoin's on quite a tear. I think it's up like 30% over the, the last month, 36%. And so it's one of those things where if they wouldn't have been busted when they were, then they might have been solvent now at this point with how well Bitcoin has been doing. Um, I can't speak to all the other altcoins and projects out there, but yeah. um, Bitcoin itself is on, a, is on a tear right now and interesting times for that. Yeah, interesting. Well, KB, I can't thank you enough for uh, joining the show today. I think it was good topics. You always bring a different perspective on things and I and I, I appreciate that. Some of the times I'm like, I'm not even sure what Keenan's talking about. I need to figure that out before I could jump on the show. So I appreciate your your uh, spin and um, the intellect that you bring to the show. So thank you for that. Well, and thank I you. Thanks thank for our, having me. Yeah, for sure. And I want to thank our listeners for joining us today. Um, and uh, I think that's it, right? This is, uh, we can say it's a wrap. And we'll see everybody next week on another edition of Global Trade This Week. All right. Thanks, Keenan. Thanks. Bye.